one of mine. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I want to remind you that the Wondermind podcast is not the only touchpoint of content in the Wondermind world. At Wondermind, we believe in mental fitness or the practice of taking care of your mental health in small but impactful ways, whatever that looks like for you. But making your mental fitness a priority in your day-to-day is easier said than done, right? That's where the Wondermind newsletter comes in. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you'll receive expert advice, candid convos, and exclusive content to shift your mindset delivered straight to your inbox. Go to wondermind.com to sign up for free today. And now back to the show. Hi, and welcome to the Business of Feelings. I'm Daniela Pearson, co-founder and co-CEO of Wondermind, the first of its kind mental fitness ecosystem focused on breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. In this weekly podcast, I sit down with those who have risen the ranks of the business world in a range of industries and discuss something that's often not talked about, their feelings. As an entrepreneur myself with a history of mental health struggles, I know firsthand how important it is to have these conversations and let others know that they are not alone. We all have our own mental health journeys, and it's time we talk about them. Well, Rupi, thank you so much for being on The Business of Feelings. I would absolutely love if you could just share who you are, what you've built, and why you are a business person. People oftentimes don't think about authors or directors or anything like that as business people, but it truly is an entrepreneurial venture. Thank you for such a warm introduction. My name is Rupi Gaur. I am a poet, a performer, an author, and I am currently on a world tour doing what I love most in the world, which is performing and connecting with audiences. And I've had the privilege since I started my company in my early 20s of managing a team of about nine incredible women. We've grown so much. There's been so many stages of RupiCore Inc. And you're absolutely right. I mean, businesswoman is a word that I never use in public, but it's a word I definitely often use in private because that is what I'm building because I could not have gotten where I am by myself. It takes a whole team. 
I'd love to ask, you know, in the beginning, you launched Milk and Honey, which was such a success. Did you ever think that it would be received the way that it was? How old were you when that happened? I self-published it when I was 21, and that was 2014. And because it was self-published, either people were purchasing from my website or anytime I'd perform locally in Toronto or anywhere, I would bring all my siblings. I have three younger siblings and they were in middle school and high school at the time. And I'd bring two boxes of books and then we'd hand sell copies at the events and absolutely had no clue. I couldn't even dream of this for myself because this was not something that was in my reality, I grew up in a working class community where, you know, everyone I knew was a truck driver, a cab driver, a factory worker, and that was it. And so when the book got published by a publisher in fall of 2015, and it really, really took off early January 2016. And I think that the success of it I mean, it did even put me, I would say, in a state of shock almost because it is a book that is so raw and so personal and I'm so vulnerable in it. And I self-published it thinking that a couple people were going to buy it and then I was going to do my LSATs and go become a lawyer or something. And suddenly it took over and became bigger than me. Wow, that's an incredible story. And just to hear it directly from you and how humble you still feel about that initial success. So if you would describe in five words what feeling you had the moment that the book took off and you became a global sensation, what would those five words be? I would say confusing, weird, scary, mind-blowing and wild. (laughs) Wow. Those are great words. And I would expect nothing less than someone like you. And so would you mind telling our listeners what has happened in the years after Milk and Honey has debuted? How have the last seven years been for you? They have been full of so many blessings and extremely tumultuous. I think that When Milk and Honey became a success, I was sort of forced to become a businesswoman. And it was like, suddenly I was getting my MBA because I had to build a company because there was so much coming in that I couldn't do it myself. I found a dear friend of mine, Rocky Muta. She became my manager. I loved her. I trusted her. We just had a vibe. And so she's still my business partner and we venture into so many things together. And so we started building the company, hiring one person, two people, three people, four people. And it was so incredible to have a partner there because what happened after Milk and Honey was I fell into extremely bad episode of depression where for about three years I had suicidal ideations every single day, which is something that most people probably wouldn't imagine at the at a point where I'm having so much success. You know, when it comes to depression, you can't really point at any one thing and say, that's why it happened. But I think there was just so much pressure as well. Like I have no idea how I wrote Milk and Honey. I don't know how I did it. I was doing what my heart was guiding me to do. And writing is something that I loved. And suddenly this book becomes 
a global sensation selling well over 5 million copies in over 43 languages has been on the New York Times list for over a hundred and something ridiculous weeks. And then you sign a contract and you're asked to do it all over again. And I'm someone who's so ambitious that creating anything less than that, I thought that's failing. Like there's no way, like the next thing has to do exactly what the first one did. There was that pressure. And I think that really put me in a place where I just felt like buried by it, honestly. And I I did feel like I had to prove something because a lot of people were critical of the fact that my work is so accessible, you know, in the literary world, being accessible is a bad thing. The literary world can be quite classist. And so the fact that millions and millions of people were reading my work wasn't necessarily seen as a good thing by my industry. And so I was at the same time as a 22-year-old, 23-year-old dealing with that and wondering, oh my God, but I never asked for this success, but now like I'm being criticized for it. But like, who even am I? I don't know. (laughs) I felt like I was just a kid. And um, I think I spent most of my 20s overcoming that. Thankfully, I was able to write book two, write book three, and I even completed book four, which I have right here with me. And honestly, I don't even know how I did it. I think I was so scared. And each of those books, I was like, there's no way I cannot, I can't do it. Like every cell in my body was like, you're not going to be able to do it. And I think I did it because I was so scared of losing everything that I built. That's so interesting. I was speaking at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and they said, do you identify as an entrepreneur? And I said, of course, yes, but I mostly identify as a survivalist. And that almost mimics the exact feelings that I had when I was starting my company at 19. And it's like, you just have to keep going, send the newsletter, send more emails, just push forward because there's no other path. It just feels like you have to go forward. And then oftentimes it does feel like, how did I do this? Yeah. You said the word survivalist and like that is a feeling I've had since the age of nine, 10 years old, not coming from a place where we were financially secure all the time. My dad, when we were younger, was extremely unwell, sick for a decade. And I remember as a kid seeing him lie almost lifeless for like weeks at a time was horrifying. You know, I would like cry in the middle of the night because I'd be like, oh my God, is dad going to die? And then I'm like thinking, what am I going to do? So if my dad dies, my mom is a stay at home mom. She can't work. I have to work. I have to like figure out how to feed everyone. And that is like a thought I've had since I was a kid. And I think that the success of Milk and Honey came at a moment where we needed financial resources to keep our home. And it was such a blessing when it all happened. But it was funny because like when I fell into it, it it brought even more anxiety because suddenly it was like, oh, it's going to be taken away from me. It's going to be taken away from me. How do I hold on to it? How do I hold on to it? And I struggled with that for years, the weight of that and even my family, seeing them stress over that. And so failure wasn't an option. 
I had signed a two book deal to write contractually obligated to write book two and three. So many people were waiting for me to fail. And so that wasn't an option. And then so many people were waiting for the next book and the next book. So it's just, you just keep going and going and going. It feels like the last seven years have been a sort of like whirlwind that's almost just settling because now I have my feet on the ground. And for seven years, I've prioritized RKI, the business, Rupi Kaur, the public persona or the author, the performer. And now hitting 30, I'm like, okay, I need this to be something sustainable that I do for the rest of my life. I want to be on stage performing at 80 years old, but that can only happen if RKI and the businesswoman perhaps chill out a little bit and my health and my emotional well-being also get some stage time. First of all, I'm so sorry that you had to feel those pressures when you were so young. How did it feel at 21, 22, having a lot of success, coming from very humble upbringing? How did it feel being younger than most of the world that has that kind of success and navigating that with just friends, relationships? How did you feel? When like the first sort of big check came in, I was like, oh my God, excited, running home, showing my parents, which was so exciting. But this one particular memory comes to mind. My, I would always show my mom first because my dad's always working. And then my mom would be like, okay, you have to show your dad, like go show your dad. And then dad would come home. My dad's a truck driver and you know he's tired. He goes to bed. I remember showing him the check and he was just like, oh my goodness, I'm so proud of you. And my mom was so emotional. And later the next day, she was like, wow, you made in one month what your dad made in one year driving on the road. And it just was like such a bittersweet moment. Sweet because I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so happy and so blessed that I can finally take care of you now. But it was so bittersweet because I was like, whoa, this world is so, like the inequality is ridiculous. Like my father and and so many folks, the hours that they put in, the physical efforts that they put in, it's absolutely endless. And what they get in return doesn't match up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm really grateful and um, that I do have the blessings that I have. And it, it didn't really change anything with any of my friends or any family. Like the money didn't really affect any of our relationships. I think that, I, and I don't know why that is because so many people will tell you otherwise, but maybe because I'm not a showy, flashy person, or I'm not going to, you know, buy a Lambo and drive around my town. (laughs) But no, my friends and I like it's, and I love treating everyone and doing all the things, but the money has not really affected or any of my relationships or the success has not. Um, But I've always been the type of person to keep around people who I genuinely think are pure. You know, I can also identify with the story of your father. My mother is an immigrant from Colombia where she had to work so hard. Any Anybody coming from a third world country who is trying to become a professional and she became an oral surgeon, it is brutal. And not that it's not here, but it truly is. And she was poverty level poor, literally grew up 20 feet away from a mass grave. And her house was the size of 
a normal American's garage. And I'm oftentimes reminded that I know I work very hard and there's sleepless nights and whatever, but there are so many people that work so much harder than me and have so little to show for it. And I feel as though a lot of people, especially minorities, count themselves out of ever being successful. I never saw a Latina woman in her 20s worth hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm sure you didn't see anybody who looked like you being a world-renowned name and this incredible business person. How do you feel now, almost a decade later, about the haters out there who were not welcoming to you and your success? Do you think that it was anything to do with not coming from a prestigious background or maybe your culture? And do you think that the publishing world has changed? And if not, how would you like it to change? I think that there has been change. I see more women being published, more diverse authors, more people of color, for sure. I can't speak for numbers. I'm not an expert in this. Sometimes I think it's like begrudgingly they publish us because they're like, we have to do this now, diversity, you know? I think that I am somebody who, I, I don't think I could have gotten success from within the industry. I got it from the outside and then I got into the industry. And I think that, so many people can go the traditional way and they can find success. But if that doesn't feel right for you and that's not working for you, then you can't stop. You have to find another way to build your road if this is what you want to do. And I have often thought, oh my goodness, if I like went to Stanford and Harvard, would I be more legit? And I thought about that a lot. You know, After publishing Milk and Honey, millions of copies later, I was looking at MFA programs, like prestigious MFA programs oh that famous writers have been to that like make them legit so that I could become legit. And my friends were like, okay, we'll like let her do this for like a hot minute. But they were like, girl, you have a world tour that you have to go on. Like how many poets are on a world tour and you're trying to do your MFA? Stop it. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That that's so real and vulnerable and honest because I know a lot of very successful people who have literally built billion dollar companies and they're like, should I go to business school? And it's like, really? Like you need that? Like you you've sold millions of copies of your first book and you still felt like you needed to prove or, or check a certain box. When did that feeling go away where you were like, you know what? I may not have done this the conventional or prestigious way, but like I kicked ass and I'm one of the biggest writers in the world. I'm going to accept the no. fact that I don't need that validation. I think that probably came maybe in the last year or two. Wow. Um, yeah, because, you know, I talk about my feelings I love that it's called the business of feelings. I obviously have built a career on talking about emotion and feelings. But, you know, when you're told that, oh, this is not real writing, this is not real literature, it's just confessions, it's for girls, it's for young women, and like, it's just this and it's just that. It can make you feel as a young woman that you're not intelligent and you're not smart because all you do is talk about your feelings. And I think it took me a couple of years to realize 
wait a minute, no, I don't need to go to Harvard and like learn big, big words to be intelligent. I don't need that because I can sit and talk about my emotions, find words for them, and then sit with other people and have discussions for them. That is my intelligence. And that is very powerful. And that's something that I've learned probably within the last year or two. I hit the road again in May. That's when my world tour started. And it feels different than any other tour because I feel more confident and feel more powerful than ever. And it's the first time I'm touring where I'm not depressed. And so I can actually feel things. And so I feel the presence. When my audience tells me things, I listen and I hear it. And it is life-changing every single night. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening, and I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I wanted to tell you about one of my favorite parts of our new launch, which is the Wondermind website. No matter what you're feeling, whether it's happy, sad, angry, anxious, stuck, envious, or lonely, or all of the above, wondermind.com has something for you. Maybe you're trying to figure out a way to effectively communicate your anger, or you want to squash those negative, intrusive thoughts, or learn to sit with your sadness. Go to Wondermind.com, an expert-backed site dedicated to all things mental fitness. Here you can filter our content by feels to find advice that's most helpful to you no matter what you're going through. Check out Wondermind.com to access curated content for any and every emotion and lean into what you're feeling. Now back to the show. I'd love to go back to the depression. So I am someone who has also struggled with depression. I have OCD. I wasn't officially diagnosed until I was about 21. And so I'd love to know when you were in your most depressed state, how did you navigate it? Because I know you said that after quite a bit of time, you felt, okay, this isn't normal. I need to get help. But while you were in the thick of it, before you realized you needed to get help, how were you feeling? I just kept telling everyone I feel weird. I was like, I feel weird. Everyone's like, oh my God. Like I'd go to events and they're like hung people I grew up with, people who saw me rise slowly year after year and you know they're so excited and so they run up to you at an event and they're just like congratulations how does it feel and I'd just be like fine it feels weird like because I couldn't feel anything else because when you're depressed 
it's not the same experience for everyone, but I became extremely numb. And it's the most confusing feeling. But at the same time that you feel numb, you feel like something is dying on the inside. And I just powered through it because I think it didn't cross my mind that I could be depressed because I thought I was too smart like to be depressed without knowing it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, because it makes sense. I was like, I was like, oh no, 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 no. And it, depression wouldn't make sense because on the outside everything was so amazing and great. And I, I started at year two or maybe year three of being like really, really low is when I started to use the word depression. And I think the folks around me who were so loving and so caring, they didn't really know what to do. I mean, they were there. They held me like Rocky, my business partner, drove me to the office every single day. Everybody held me down. But it really had to come from me like, well, I need to do something. The winter of 2018, I was living in New York, but I came back to Toronto to visit my family. I just couldn't leave my bed for days and was just a mess. I constantly was like, oh my God, I just want to sleep and never wake up again. That was a thought I had every day. And then I was taking inventory of the fact that that's been the thought that I used to calm myself down and provided me comfort that I could end it. And I was like, that's really dangerous. But I didn't notice it because it had slowly become normalized. And when it becomes a normal thought over such a long period, you don't know it's a red flag. And um, I sat, I remember on on the steps of my parents' house. And I was like, how many more years can I continue to live like this? And then I said, maybe I might survive three years, but I don't think I'll be able to make it to year four. That was the moment where something cracked open and I was like, I need help. And what was your first step after that? (laughs) This was a year before COVID and it was a year of me trying everything. I signed up for a meditation course. And then two weeks after that, I found a therapist. And then I was kind of on this like wild journey to try different things to find what worked. And so many things did and so many things didn't. And it, it was never one thing. It was like a combination of many, many things. And, you know, getting better wasn't a straight line. Like in January, where, when the journey of getting better started, it was going really well. And then it's just like, and then it like goes well. And then it's like all over the place until you realize, oh, that's how life is. And it took probably two years to get to a place of of actually putting an effort every single day and until I could say, oh, I'm not depressed anymore. Well, congratulations. That is a very big feat to get across. And I don't know if I would have been able to get across my depression and my debilitating OCD and anxiety without medicine. What is something that you do still now to this day that really helps you feel okay? Yeah, medicine was also something that I started that I was very resistant about. Me too. Um, There was this idea that Like if I took medicine, I'd become like a zombie or I couldn't be creative. That's so common and something I often talk to my co-founders about. But how did you get through that roadblock? I had a friend who said that she was on a medication and she gave me such a positive review on it that I was like, what do I have to lose? And it was so helpful. 
it made me feel like back to myself again, you know, like that's what it is. Some of us just need that extra, whatever it is, chemical thing to just get back on the same pace as everybody else. So it was really, really, really helpful. Thank you for being transparent about that because when I saw a therapist at my lowest low and psychiatrist and I started taking medicine, I didn't tell my parents. I had to use like the very little initial earnings earnings of the news that to go and it's so expensive and there's so many inequities. But there was a point where my father looked at me and he was like, medication is for failures. Mm. So then about a year ago, after my entire life had changed and I proved that I could have mental illness and still be a business person, I asked my dad, I said, dad, if you went to the doctor and they said you have high blood pressure and they told you to take this medicine, would you take it? And he said, yeah. And I said, then if someone said, oh, you have OCD, here's a medication, what is the difference? And he looked at me and he goes, I know what you're saying and I can't give you an answer, but for some reason it feels different. And truly, I think the way that we get over that stigma is having people like yourself, like, you know, Selena, like Mandy, my co-founder and co-CEO, being open and saying, actually, I do take medicine to take out the shame or the stigma that can oftentimes be surrounded by it. Selena was actually one of the people in the midst of my darkest moments. I remember hearing her talk about it so openly for the first time. And my friends who I was sharing with, like, oh my God, I feel this way, sending me videos of her. And it was truly seeing somebody in her position. And, it, and that's why I eventually, you know, did write an entire chapter about it in my third book. I wouldn't have ever talked about it if maybe she hadn't. Seeing somebody in her position saying that she is also going through this and these are also her challenges helped me step out of that denial. I hope you know that you're doing the same exact thing to many people right now. So to talking about the business side and the creative side, did you often feel like you had to be emotionless in business or because your business was being very emotional and open, did you feel like they could coexist? I've always felt like they can coexist. I don't really know how to be anything other than me. I just have never been able to spend energy pretending otherwise. And I think what made my journey in business really helpful was having Rocky by my side as my sort of anchor. I feel like I handle the creative. I have these visions and then she sort of makes those visions come to life and where I can be really emotional. She like balances me out in so many ways. I feel like we're sort of like a yin and yang. And it's always been strong partnerships and friendships with women that have been able to help me grow as a businesswoman and as an artist. I'm not someone who could have done it without the support of supportive women in my life. That's amazing. And it often touches on a co-founder sort of relationship or delegating things that seem like only you can do it and allowing somebody into that world. Did you ever Mm -hmm. get burned in business in some way that made you really think the business world needs to change? For sure. I would say maybe the first time was like 2016, like, you know, when you sign contracts and like they all look great and then you like 
you know, two, three years into it, you're like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. And then not doing it means you have to pay these giant, giant fees. And, you know, paying those fees for the first time was gut-wrenching. And then it fed into that fear of like, oh my God, I knew that this financial security that I had, I knew it was going to go. And it hurt so, so, so much. But then you get smarter and smarter each time and surround yourself with better people. Did you ever feel like you lost control of your own career and then you had to take it back because people saw you as the creative or the talent? I functioned so much from the outside that I started this partnership with Rocky. Like her career before me was working on the front lines in Brazil in Kenya, in India, helping those on the ground, working with child soldiers, survivors of rape and sexual assault. And then she started venturing into more creative directing, writing shows. And so she also had no experience in any sort of like managing a company, but she's always had that rigor in her. And so we both started to build this company from the outside. I had no agent, I had no CAA or whatever. We didn't even know that an author could have a team of nine people. And so because we were in Toronto and we were building from the outside, I insulated myself with such strong people. And we realized that the way that I've done it, it could only be done if I did it myself. Like, for example, I design all my book covers still to this day. That's only possible because I have a team who like helps me and supports me. But because we do so much in-house, I think it really, really protects me and it keeps a lot of power on my end. But now as I dive more into the establishment, working with the agents and this and that, I'm like, oh, I see you. I see them now trying to take the wheel and they're confused. They're like, but why doesn't she get an agent? And we're like, but we don't need it because we've sold 10 million books. But they're just so confused. And so I think Fortunately, we've seen how we can do it without them. And so now as we're diving into new ventures within the establishment, there is that sort of like fine balance. I am very wary of, I've built this, but I can't let this become something that traps me. For sure. I love that. And and how much of a business person you are that you brought everything in-house immediately. I don't know if you knew it at the time, but you probably know other authors and everything is outsourced. And so how did you and your business partner decide who to hire and how to build this internal team? I think we figured out pretty quickly. And the thing that we looked for most was the lack of ego. Like Rocky and I have never had ego. We will be on the floor sorting out receipts and doing the bookkeeping and doing (laughs) all of the things. And so every person who's joined the team, folks, some of them have been with us for four or five years now. They have to be willing to get their hands dirty. There's no ego in any part of the job. And the agility is so important with such a small team. We could be working on a project for six months and at the seventh month, something could go terribly wrong in the world. And it just doesn't make sense now to put this project out, but no one should be able to take that personally. That's so great. And so wise, what is the biggest, I guess, evolution or transformation or lesson in business that you feel like you have grown into in the last seven years? One is like very practical. Somebody told me 
spend the money. It's going to be more money than you want to spend, but spend it on lawyers and accountants. Don't mess mm-hmm. with that. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. And second, something that I'm learning in the long run is businesses have their ups and downs and there's so many successful businesses that you think they probably have no chaos. There's so much chaos happening inside almost every single business and that's okay. And that's the way of it. Like when COVID hit, we had to cancel a world tour in so many places where we expected revenue to come from. It was scary because I was like, that's it. Like, should I just like shut it all down? Like save what I got and like go. And the lesson was just like, no, this is business. You're going to have rough years, maybe rough periods. You keep going and you keep going. You build for the long run, not the short run. It's funny. It almost mimics mental fitness and mental health in a way, right? That does. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that we're running out of time here, Rupi, and I would love to ask you, what would you tell somebody who wants to be a freelancer, a writer, any sort of position where you really are going out on your own and maybe doing it the unconventional way? What advice would you give them? I would say that if you're thinking about doing it and you think that you don't have what it takes, you do. That's one. It's something that just takes time and practice. And you know what? You might try and decide it's not something that you actually want to pursue, which is totally fine. But I would say don't quit your day job, start slow, get your feet wet. And it takes time. If you're trying to be a freelance writer, journalist, it takes time to get your first story. It takes time to build a reputation and you have to step back and look at the bigger picture and just take it one day at a time. I love that. And I asked you earlier in the episode, five words that you felt when you had just released the first book, Milk and Honey. But how do you feel now if you had to say five words when you get up on those stages across the world? How do you feel now? Blessed, privileged, powerful, confident and excited i love that well what an evolution ruby thank you so much for being so vulnerable where can our audience find you and your incredible work you can find all of my books i might just published my fourth one almost two weeks ago now healing through words at any bookstore follow me on instagram at ruby underscore or on my website Thank you so, so much for your time, Ruby. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate you so much. Well, that's it for this week's episode of The Business of Feelings. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope this episode was helpful for you in some way. Whether you learned something new, became inspired to prioritize your own mental fitness, or just felt a little less alone about being a human who has feelings in this world, like we all do. Don't forget to subscribe to The Business of Feelings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want access to more mental fitness content, make sure to check out wondermind.com or sign up for our tri-weekly newsletter. I'll see you next time when we're back with another great guest being open and honest about their feelings as they build their empires. Our theme song is written and produced by John Levine. And The Business of Feelings is produced by Wondermind and Big Din Productions. Thanks for listening.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.